Welcome to the Reticle Up Podcast, where I, Thriga, and Kenzie will be interviewing competitive shooters, hunters, fishermen, archers, entrepreneurs, and outdoorsmen. Come learn with me as I interview people from all walks of life, in different disciplines, all across the world, from novices to professionals of all ages. No matter what, everyone has something they can teach you. So come join me on the journey. The Reticle Up podcast is produced in partnership with AmericanFirearms.org. American Firearms' mission is to recommend what works. We believe everyone deserves access to unbiased, helpful information about firearms. And our buying guides, product reviews, and learning resources are designed to help real people find the stuff that will work best for them. Check us out at www.americanfirearms.org. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Radical Up podcast. If you're watching, we've got Greg Medford here, if you're listening. He is the president of Medford Knives. He's also the host of the Greg Medford Show, uh, which was a really fun episode actually that we got to record together at, at Blade Show. So Greg, thanks for making time to come on. Hey, I, you know, I like I like to come whenever you ask me to. I don't even know how to start with that. <laughs> oh, even... I didn't mean for that to sound as bad as it did. This is awesome. No, I would describe Greg as perfectly politically incorrect, but still appeasing the political world. So it's been kind of interesting of how you are open and welcoming to all of it, um, but still speak your mind. But you haven't been canceled. Why do you think that is? Well, I have been canceled. Sort of, but not officially. Not yet. You're still here. They've deleted the shit out of me everywhere I go. Um, So, uh, no, you know, I just, I think... Um, I think it's because I'm perceived as having absolutely zero power, so they let me just ramble on. Sure. But the 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 uh, intelligentsia is still trying to figure out with us masses having our voice. Yeah. Because we've never had our voice, not since 1783. The yep. people have never once spoken. The elections have been a bit of a ruse. That's been manipulated by both parties since time immemorial, and uh, and and so they're trying to figure out how to shut us down. So um, first, they use um, uh, the Patriot Act, and uh, and and then they say, "Well, we can't beat them. We better join them." So then they get a private server put in at all the server facilities for all these tech companies, mm-hmm. and then the tech companies, well, they're a bunch of little incel skinny fingered melba toast top not wearing finchy uh never got any pussy in their life faggots anyways so i and when i say that i mean well I, that wasn't a sexual thing it's pride month i don't want to like have anybody mad at me but they're just they were a bunch of little queer baits who couldn't get laid in high school they geeked out in their ipod and they got a computer they met some indian dudes they put together a tech company they're going to take over the world and the first thing they do up in marin county is they throw hooker parties and lose their mind. So yeah. they, they're not all like elevated, like oh, I'm gonna drink fucking raw water. They're all, they got security firms like hire former uh, military guys like me who maybe don't have a company to stand around with guns, make sure nobody can pick on them anymore because they got picked on back in high school. I mean, they're the incels. They're involuntarily celibate. They got a bunch of money and they throw it at ass and they lose their minds. Look at that little weirdo that was down there in the Bahamas with that, uh, who, who basically flipped over the table on the entire cryptocurrency market. That's who we're dealing with. You know, Elon Musk, he's cool as shit, but if he wasn't a billionaire, 
that fucking weirdo might never get laid either. I mean, if you listen to him talk, he's like an automaton. He's like, um, I think uh, the future of humanity is, <laughs> I mean, it's destined to fail. I mean, the guy's a weirdo. Yeah. And everybody loves him now because he's got $280 billion and yeah. he's the richest in the world and he's a baller. But other than that, he's a fucking weirdo. That guy would have to find some weird girl down in Honeywell when he's on an aer aerospace project to get laid by and they'd be married forever. Um, the difference with Elon, though, is at least he is contributing to like having a free speech platform versus having a lot of the censorship and, and stuff. There's no question of all of the people that turn into bajillionaires. Yeah. He's a badass. And you know what the difference is? He makes stuff. Yeah. He's those guys in Silicon Valley, those techies, they don't actually make anything. They make a bunch of money. They do an A series, a B series, a C series round of funding. They hire all these kids to skedaddle in there. They fucking give free yogurt and back rubs and hand jobs for everybody to come to fucking work so that they'll fucking program and outsource the shit to India. They don't make anything. Huh? And and so he he went from finance to making cars. I yeah. mean, and then he's like, ah, that's not enough. Let's get a rocket ship. Rocket ship. <laughs> yeah, he's like, dude, he's two times the baller that Howard Hughes was, minus the jars full of piss in his bedroom. <laughs> you know, and you're, I know a little bit of your background too, which is, uh, I think you and I are both passionate about building stuff. We talked a little bit about Blade Show, about stuff made in America. Plus, I'm super passionate. Oh, uh, no, no telling. <laughs> that this episode's gonna be fantastic but you also what people probably don't know is that you used to build planes used to restore planes i mean so you have this sense of work ethic too of of building and creating something with your hands that a, a lot of people and most of america is never gonna ever do ever again right it well we we have become we are on our way to being those people in the floaty chair chairs drinking big gulps from wally yep i mean it, it, and, 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 and what's funny is the more wealthy people are, the more incompetent they are at almost everything. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it was Wally that's predicted that. And wasn't it the Jetsons, too, that predicted, like, our Zoom meetings and all the technology stuff? We are there. I, I, I live in uh, a reasonably, like, ridiculously well-heeled area. And I go into the hardware store because I actually do shit around my house. Mm -hmm. And while I'm there, the conversations that I hear amongst the other rich bastards talking to them is fucking hilarious. They're, when you hear them talking about, like, pipes under the sink or the valve on the toilet, they're fucking, in, they're like, well, what do you call the thing that comes down from the sink? And I and I'm standing like I'm I'm like five feet down the aisle, and and there's this kid standing there like, uh, I'm like, you mean the garbage disposal? Yes, the thing you turn on with the switch. What's the thing that comes off the bottom? I go, y you mean the drain? No, the curly part of the drain. I go, you mean the p trap? Yes, that that curly part at the bottom. I go. How the fuck do you live in this neighborhood? You're incompetent at everything. So um, that's kind of my experience. I'm not on your level. But I remember going into my ace. Harbor. I live in the cheapest house in the neighborhood. Trust <laughs> me. I live in the dump of the neighborhood. I mean, no. <laughs> totally true. Right around the corner from me, Orson Welles and John Houston lived there. And they destroyed the fucking house. It was just a story in the paper. This is years ago. These were... 
two big iconic Hollywood film directors before your time, really before my time. Uh, and 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 Orson Welles, ironically, was the "We will sell no wine before it's time." And he did uh, he he, he did uh, Citizen Kane, his one big movie, and then a bunch of other little ones. And then and then John Huston, he did all the John Wayne movies. Mm-hmm. They had a house together, a couple houses over from me, in the saddle of this mountain. Fucked the place up. Drove a car through the garage, threw all the furniture in the pool. Oh yeah. And then they left their underwear there when they moved out. So this house, it's really funny. They hoist size 58 Fruit of the Loom whitey tidies on a flagpole out in front of their house once a year on the anniversary of kicking Orson Welles out of their house. So funny. (laughs) All right. So I'm sorry. That was a little segue into the, that's the strange group that lives on the little hill where I'm at. One of the Van Dykes lived there. Hugh Downs lived there. Uh, Paul Harvey, you know, that's the rest of the story. Paul Harvey, he lived there. It's just, uh, it's hilarious. Uh, you know, I don't know. Go ahead. It used to be a goat farm. It's on a mountain. Go ahead. Wow. No, so you're yeah. saying you bought, but did you buy your house early on to be able to afford like that kind of area and then fix it up? So my house used to be like a little hospital. And in 1976, this Italian guy and his gay architect lover turned it into a, a villa. So I live in this little old house that looks like an Italian villa on the side of the mountain, uh, put together by two gay boys. And it's really set up for like sculpture and views and art, which is perfect for me because yeah. I have sculpture and art everywhere. So he, he would approve of everything but my sex parties. Mine are way too heterosexual. I mean, they were. I don't have sex parties anymore. Full disclaimer. Uh, anyways, I was, go- I was going back what- to what is this show about? I see like a Dylan Blue thing in the background. What what is this all about? I see patches and stickers. Do you do do what, what are we talking about? This is the, the I was trying to get into it. This is my gun room that I live in, though. Uh, the Radical podcast, though, is I interview entrepreneurs. Listen, tell, let's get into it. What are we going to do? Yeah. Talk to me. I want to talk about actually how you create knives, how, what kind of tools you actually use. So for people, again, I'm not in the world of Blade Show, right? So I'm talking to my audience that are more about learning. So what kind of tools did you invest in getting started and then kind of where are you at now with making knives and how can people look for more American made products to in that realm as well? Hmm, yeah. So uh, it's a bit of an economics lesson. So when I first started, everything was very handmade. Uh, when I, so I, I literally drew my first 18 knives. I drew them. I invited some of my veteran buddies over and said, hey, I sketched some knives out. Point to the ones you like. And they all pointed to different ones. And we were drinking beer at the pool table in my front room. And I said, okay, well, uh, they're like, what are you doing, Greg? I was At the time, I, I had three martial arts schools and I was an airshow pilot. Mm-hmm. Well, I, it's not, it's not, that's not actually true. I, I had had several schools. I had one school at the time. And, uh, and, uh, they're like, I said, I'm going to the knife business. And they're like, <laughs> you know, they all laughed at me and stuff. And then they're like, oh shit, you're serious. And then they were like, oh, well, anything Greg says he's going to do ends up happening. So holy shit, you're going to the knife business. How cool. We're going to have a friend in the knife business. So all they saw was like, we're going to get free shit. Um, but I rented a building like the next day. I bought a grinder the same day, picked the grinder up from Missouri about a week later. 
flew to Missouri, learned how to grind with a dude for a couple hours. And I was in the knife business. It happened really fast. And, and then, you know, uh, so I bought a knife grinder from Burt King. And then next thing I needed was a heat treat oven. And, and that's all you need to make knives until you're going to make folders. When you get to making folding knives, pocket knives, that's a whole different animal. So I literally, my first three tools were a Burt King 2x72 grinder, a Paragon 12x36 oven, and a toaster oven so I could melt Kydex. That was it. Everything else was hand tools, and I didn't have any tables that were sturdy enough, so I went out and bought a Miller welder, and uh, I welded up these fucking tables, and I said, you know, if this knife thing doesn't work out, I'm going to do car restoration or aircraft restoration. So the tables that I welded up, you could put a Mack fucking truck on them. I mean, they're like six-inch steel round legs. I mean, they're ridiculous. They're still out in the shop being used today. That's cool. So I welded up three tables to kind of put them in my shop. I had one grinder off this side. I had a heat treat oven. I, like, sketched out my logo, printed it up in vinyl, stuck it on the front door, and I started making knives. And, like, the first day, and I conned the guy into letting me rent the building with no money down and no rent. I said, I, I can't pay you, but I never renege on anything. I'm going to pay you. And he said, oh, my wife is going to break my balls over this decision. Jesus Christ. He goes, but I like you, kids, so I'll give it a try. And like three days later, I paid him the rent. I paid him the down payment. I paid my mortgage. And it, I was down. I'm not kidding. And I had two kids and a wife who wasn't thrilled with me. Um, people all the time, they use excuses for why they don't go on life's grand adventure. They say, oh, I've got kids. I can't do that. Oh, I got a family. I can't do that. Oh, I got a wife. I can't do that. And every one of us who's doing cool stuff, we, we risk everything yep. all the time. So I had two small kids and a wife that wasn't thrilled with me. I was in a business that was going down because of the economy in 07, 08. And I just said, I have to make this work. And I took the chance. I maxed out my American Express card and bought my first three tools that I needed for the shop. And then everybody helped me out along the way that I asked, hey, can you water jet this stuff for me? They would cut some knives out for me. I'm like, hey, don't worry about the bill, kid. You're looking forward to looking forward to when you're making a lot of knives. Wow. And then next thing you know, I sold 10,000 knives and I was out of my mind and was hiring people. And I rented the other half. You know, I rented three more sections of building until I had half the building. And then he came to me, he goes, Greg, you need to get out of here. You got too much going on. It's too much for this little area. And and then I went and rented a, I said, oh my God, I rented this building. I said, this is as big as I'll ever need. And I, 18 months into that, I got a building that was four times bigger than that. And two years after that, I bought a building twice as big as that. And that's where I'm at right now. Wow. So it's just crazy. Um, if you were to see the tools that I have now, I have a dozen of those grinders. And I've got six or eight guys working in that department. I've got a dozen CNC mills made in Oxnard, California from Haas. I have a burger grinder made in Germany. I have Okamoto grinders for flat grinding made in Japan, several of them. I have an Omax water jet made in Kent, Washington. I have uh, Mitsubishi EDM wire machines made, obviously, in Japan and here. 
Um, I've got Paragon. I've got like eight Paragon ovens now. Um, I've got lathes and mills and you know, all kinds of stuff. Uh, all kinds of different ovens. I've got huge tumbling machines for finish work, you know, seven feet across, you know, weigh 15, I don't know, maybe weigh, maybe weigh like 4,000 pounds a piece, 5,000 pounds. Got multiples of those. I mean, the compressor I have now, it's, you know, I've got two compressors, air tanks that are eight feet high, water purification in the building so that the water's surgically pure that we use for everything. I've got, you know, eight seven or eight people in assembly full-time engineer i mean you know it's a it's a fucking to-do yeah yeah well do you remember the first sale that you made that wasn't like a friend or a family member or it was just a complete stranger and and what was that feeling like when that happened his name was ryan venati and ryan walked in uh maybe my second day after my grinder showed up and or no it was like within a couple days of my paragon oven showing up and i had heat treated my first knives and hand finished them so i literally had i originally cut 18 knives out of a sheet of steel that arizona tool steel gave me it was a scrap wow and i cut 18 knives out of them i ground them all heat treated them all and i was hand finishing them and i had put my sign on my door and there was this at the door guy pokes at you like, hey man you are you the knife maker i was like yeah he's like well I love knives. He looked around and I just talked to Ryan a couple of days ago. He, uh, he actually recommended somebody to come work for us this week. So he, he looks around and he says, well, what's that? I tell him what it is. He goes, well, how much is it? And I said, it's $400. And he says, I'll take it. When will it be done? And I said, I'll have it done tomorrow. He bought a knife. And then the next day he brought back a friend and that guy bought like five knives and he bought a couple more. And then, so my first few days in business, I paid my rent. I paid my mortgage. You know, my wife was shitting herself at the time. She's like, what are we going to do? And I said, it'll all work out. Just let me worry about it. Yeah. And, uh, and Ryan Bonatti walked in. That's amazing. I, I feel like maybe you can speak to this or not, but like entrepreneurs, like I feel like very blessed because I was always around a family of entrepreneurs, like working for someone else was kind of never an option, even if I had to growing up, which I did. You know, I learned hard work and work ethic and how much it doesn't pay off to work for other people. <laughs> um, but it is a risk and a gamble. And, you know, people, I'm sure you get this. Greg, you're so lucky to get to do this. Oh, Greg, you're you're so lucky. Your life, you get to do X, Y, Z. They don't see the 20, 30 years in the making of the hardships. They don't see anything that we don't want people to see, right? That we don't put out there of paying bills or healthcare, just anything. Right. So can you speak to that kind of like entrepreneurship mindset of what it really does take to get to where you're at now? I will tell you, most people should have a job working for somebody and it does pay off. Yeah. It just pays different dividends than somebody like me wants. What motivates me is not really money. What motivates me is experience and, and, uh, uh, and making things and seeing people light up when they get them in their hands. So as a maker, um, you know, what motivates me is coming up with ways to expand and grow and employ more people and, you know, move the needle in my community. It sounds a little bright, but that's actually after you're wealthy, there is what motivates you. Yeah. You know, after someone's world champion, what makes them continue to want to be a world champion, right? 
after Arnold Schwarzenegger got Mr. Universe or Mr. Olympiad or whatever it was, what made him come back and do it many years in a row? And uh, there's, you know, I just watched the series about uh, Schwarzenegger on Netflix, and it was powerful because what really motivates him is talking with people and teaching them about what he does. It's different than everybody else. He was into telling people about what he does. He, like you, lights up the room with his energy. So, you know, what makes me excited is seeing people see American manufacturing and see how challenging it is and see the lights, like, click on in their brain. Because everyone says, oh, well, my my detractors just say, oh, well, guys like Greg, they just don't like competition. Look at the capitalist who doesn't like competition from China. And I go, well, you know, I'm pretty cool with competition from, like, Italy and from Germany and from France, countries that have vibrant knife industries. I'm very comfortable with their challenge because they hire people in a free society who make a choice to work there who can go other places, who get raises. Their countries have monetary policies that are connected into the good global community. They're not undermining America. They're allies. They're concerned about the environment, work conditions, the work week, safety in the workplace. Okay? China has none of that to contend with. And my competitors in Italy, they come up with some money and they buy equipment and they pay off their equipment and that debt service is built into their product. Yeah. It's comparable. When I go against the communist country, I'm basically going against the government that's put up money to buy the machines and the building. And then I'm going up against companies that have mostly knocked off American products to learn what they're doing. And then they don't have to go find employees. The government employment office sends 200 people down and they all want the job. So they have a tryout for who's best and they get rid of the rest. And anybody who gets gotten rid of has to go back to the government and say that they weren't qualified and they're penalized for it. And it's very bad for their life. Yeah. So they literally have employees who are afraid to fail, who are desperate to succeed. And if they fail at the job, they'll. They start running out of options, and the government penalizes their family. Yeah, and and so I'm competing against forced labor. Yep. And, and I'm in an industry that is primarily a labor cost business. For sure. There's the value proposition of all knives has got a small increment of material. There's not much in a knife. It's not made of precious material. And the rest of it is it craft and labor and technology to get it to come together. And and so when you do when you are competing head to head with a regime where like three quarters of my life is spent dealing with employees and paying off the debt service on my equipment and building. Yep. Maybe 80, maybe 90%. Yep. If I didn't, if the government just said, here are how many machines do you need to hire a hundred people? And I just told them the answer. And I, they send in the, the business plan uh, bureau, Politburo and they tell me what I'm going to do. And it's just a different reality. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when I, when I, uh, you know, one of my challenging things is 
my fellow Americans are very comfortable buying from Costco and Walmart and Target. And Costco, Walmart, and Target are basically liquidation centers for China. Yeah. And so American companies that can't scale and grow outsource their goods to Asia, to China. China makes shit tons of them, and they sell them for low margin to these big retailers, and they do high-volume, low-margin business. Okay? And so my countrymen, they want a clean environment. My countrymen want a 40-hour work week. My countrymen want time and a half and workman's comp. They want you to have this insurance and that insurance, building insurance, life insurance, health insurance. Health insurance is a big deal. They want you to pay your people a fair wage so they can buy their own home and have their own American dream. And that's how they vote. And those are the rules I live by. Yep. Then they go to Walmart and shop. And they go to Target and shop. And they go to Costco and shop. And those three places single-handedly, there are portals through which an American can reach in and buy stuff that didn't have to follow the rules from people that didn't have to follow the rules. Yep. So what they are is they're two-faced lying motherfuckers. And they're ignorant as shit. They're backstepping sons of bitches. They're like, well, I want this, and I want that, and I want this, and I want the clean environment. I want the grid. And then, but I'm going to go buy this because it's cheaper. Yep. I said, well, I can make it cheaper, too, if you, you take take my handcuffs off. I, I don't want to. Yeah. But that's the weird reality about this. And it's and 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 uh, the, the more you have your head up your ass and the more you lie to yourself, the more duplicitous you are. So. I know this is not a politics show, but a lot of people in the green world, in the green movement, in the in the environmental movement, they look at the world through a soda straw. They say, oh, I'm going to get a Tesla because it doesn't use gas. Well, you're just an ignorant ding-dong with your head up your ass if that's what you believe. Because the chromium and the cadmium and the heavy metals used to make the gigantic battery, which is the most expensive part of the car. Pollute the environment for a thousand years. And they're made, they're just, what we've done is we've outsourced the guilt. Yeah. And we've outsourced the wealth conversion so that we feel better in our lying little bunny rabbit hearts. And it just drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if someone says you're lucky because you get to do it, I go, fuck you. I'm not lucky. Are you kidding me? It's a burden to bear. I'm not lucky. I'm the same lucky as everybody else is. But you will never, ever, ever hit a home run if you don't go up to the plate and swing every day. Yep. And every night you're going to get lucky and you're going to hit a home run. Yeah. And then when you hit the home run, they go, God, you're so lucky. Not lucky. I was here doing it. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're lucky you make these knives for Marine Corps. You're so lucky. Not, not lucky. I bang my head against the wall every day making stuff and repairing machines and dealing with employees and all of the challenges. I'm not, I'm not lucky at all. Yeah. I, I, this is what I do. I'm just here. Yep. You'd get lucky too. Yep. My mom uh, owns flower shop and she, she's got the same stuff with the employees and healthcare and benefits, all of that, just to say like, she never gets to arrange the, the pretty flowers anymore. Right. That's gone. I'm sure you have that kind of same experience. It's like, when do you actually get to sit down and make a knife? I'm sure you still do, but there's, there's way more headache to owning a business than it is in actually enjoying it for sure. Well, it's, worth it, 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 it's a, I'm more of a conductor of a symphony and I really, really like, I like the work and yeah. I enjoy it. I zero complaints. Yeah. Uh, but when people 
deride me for the price. You know, I, I changed the knife business in some regards. Everybody's comfortable charging a lot of money for knives out. It was almost single-handedly because of me. I started charging money for knives when nobody, everybody was trying to make them as cheap as possible. They said, Greg, why are you charging so much? I go, because that's what it fucking costs. Yeah. They say, oh, but it, I, it costs as much as a gun. I go, it's more work than a gun. Yep. It's literally more work than a gun. And the, yeah. the guns that are 600 has, you know, a 99.9% markup on the $7 gun that it probably costs, you know? I don't know. I mean, I think guns are pretty low margin, actually. Um, it is guns on are- the FFL side. So, like, if you're getting a new gun, the FFL doesn't make that much money off of it. But in terms yeah. of what they're actually manufactured to what they cost, no. Maybe, maybe. I, I, I mean, obviously, there's money to be made there. You know, there are some multiples in manufacturing. So there are some some rules of thumb, like you want to make basically three times your material cost is what your distributor price should be. Yeah. Well, if you if you figure that out, um, that's probably very similar for the gun business. It's probably very durable, hard goods. That's probably very similar whether you're making toasters or lawnmowers, guns or knives. Um, and, and guns and knives have the same issue. People listen to them, and when you start catering to the audible uh fetish of connoisseurs <laughs> you can go into the fucking rabbit hole <laughs> yep. it starts getting expensive to make stuff it doesn't just look the same it doesn't feel like it sounds the same that that that's that's that that's when you're of officially become the mayor of crazy town i like and I'm mayor of crazy town i know <laughs> oh i can see that yeah um you know, the other thing that, that people do is, like, they buy these guns, they buy these knives, and I don't know if this hurts your heart or not. Maybe it doesn't. They don't use said knives. They don't carry said knives. They, I mean, I get the collector pieces to some of these things, right? But how important, because I know that you teach hand-to-hand instruction, you've done martial arts stuff. How important is it to actually learn the tool that you have? You know, I did all of that stuff, and uh, I just think it's all a bunch of hokey bullshit. The most important thing, I did it for decades, okay? Um, you, you know, you, you don't run into dudes who've been in knife fights. It's not fucking Tommy Lee Jones and Steven Seagal battling it out on the USS Missouri, sword fighting with a couple of four-inch blades. It doesn't happen. Um, I do know some people who have killed people with knives, and it is a brutal, up-close business, and it was unsophisticated. It was... Um, you know, one of my friends stabbed the dude in the neck and he didn't even realize he had pushed his hand clean through the guy's neck, Ugh. the neck. And and, the, and he, and his hand just oh. followed the wound and he, and he pushed it right through the guy's neck all the way to the other side. And so it, there's, you know, I, I, I battle and I, I literally 10 years ago, I said, Greg, we offer too many options. They all sat me down and said, you got to quit telling people yes to everything. I said, okay, so let's limit the options. What's happened is salespeople, the, the, uh, the people on the side of the business that interact with the customers the most, they, they get Munchausen syndrome, and they kind of want to empathize with the retail customer. So they want to give them their every little heart's desire. And then what happens is, all the options crept back into the business. Mm. And I'm kind of like, listen, I'm a tool using dude. I don't like shit all frilly. I like it basic and cool. Yeah. So I'm in a constant battle with the rest of the company to quit offering all the frilly options 
because the only people that it attracts are non-users. Yeah. So I work really, really hard to make working tools for working people. Yeah. That's my number one customer. It is not rich guys carrying purple fucking sculpted combat knives. But they are pretty. Some of those that you had at Blade Show were absolutely stunning. But I do agree that the one that you are going to use and that you want to use is one that is utilitarian, simple, repeatable. I, I staff all the time. And they go, well, that's what sells. I go, that's because that's what you're making and it's glitzy. But it, it turns off 10 people. Yeah. So when we go to shows, there is a high percentage of collectors there. Yeah. So we make stuff for them. And then what people do is they let that kind of infuse their thinking about the retail stuff. I, I think the retail world doesn't want highly sculpted, glitzy knives. Um, you know, they don't want a Ford Raptor with a lift kit, with a chrome wrap, with a bunch of branding all over it. Uh, you know, they, I, I like my Raptor debadged. I like it subtle and pretty stock because I'm going to use the shit out of it. Yeah. That's what I want to do with the knives. You know, I, I tell people all the time, I feel like what we do is we make a, you know, we make a Ford Raptor or a, you know, super high end, heavy use kind of pickup truck, you know, like a, like a power wagon or a Raptor, or, I don't know, TRX kind of reminds me of Tacoma. My Tacoma is a workhorse. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I just bought a Tundra actually. I get hey. it on the fifth. Do you really? Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. That's a big deal. But yeah, no, you have an actual tool. I mean, my truck was, you know, people, again, they're like, oh, you bought this truck. It's all bougie, whatever. It's like, this has been my dream truck. It's going to be in one truck for probably 20 years. And it gets me to the range. It carries all my shit, pulls what I need it to, helps me move. That truck, I have zero complaints because all I need to do is do what it needs to do for me. So it's perfect for my, you know, my truck. But we have to have these truck competitions, Greg, where... The dudes, you gotta have a bigger truck. Blah blah blah. No, I don't. I I uh my so I I had a Chevy Silverado. Me too. I I had a Chevy Silverado single cab short bed. Oh, I had so, a half door, the one where you would swung the door and it would bounce off because it's wrong. Oh, no, my dad had that truck. No, I, I didn't want it. that single it. cab. Okay, and and let me tell you something. It's the fucking Mexican truck of all time. Mexicans love my truck. So I drove, I put 105,000 miles in that. Mexicans, oh, look, I'm down here in Arizona. Arizona, we don't yeah. have in Mexican, and Mexicans have got style. Mexicans like a short bed, flat riding Chevy pickup truck. A single cab. They may have 26 kids, but they want a single cab, short bed, Chevy pickup truck. So I, I got that. I put 110,000 miles on it, and I, I paid, I remember I paid $23,000 for that truck, and I just thought, bananas I, i'm out of my mind i i drove it put 100 i don't know i think i put 109,000 miles on it i sold it for seven thousand dollars nice and i was like it's as it turns out it was probably the best per mile i've ever gotten out of anything except porsches every time i buy a porsche i drive the shit out of it and i and i sell it for what i paid for it seriously yep uh, i've had I've had three 911 turbos. Now, I don't buy brand new. I buy a couple years old. But I've had three 911 turbos. I've had a couple of Carreras. Every time I have a Porsche, I sell it for what I paid for it. And I drive the shit out of it like I stole it. Like, if you ever, Pat, see somebody in a Porsche, it's usually it's like it's some doctor or some old guy. If you see a man in a convertible Porsche, 
He's not a Porsche guy. That is a woman's fucking car. It is not a Porsche. So they're driving down the road. They'll have like a they'll have like a pinky ring. Very successful, probably. And they're going the speed limit or five under. It's just yeah. old. Not me. When you if you I, my car, I, I I took it to the shop the other day. I had a uh, coolant issue. The first time I've ever had to bring my Porsche to the shop in all the Porsches I've owned for an issue, like a light went on. And uh, they said, I, I came down and I, I, the guy, my guy Mark, he comes out and he goes, Greg, there's what he goes, the guys were all standing around your car and they were all like, they were all talking and just shaking their head. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, your car's gone faster than any car we have come in. And I go, well, I, I go fast in it. They go, no, it looks in the computer like every time you start it, because they see that I go over 100 miles an hour every time I'm in the car. Oh, my God. And they, they said almost every event in your car is a 100-mile-an-hour event. And so I guess they can look and they see all the starts and it tells them what percentage of the time you go 100 or it'll tell them how fast you've gone. So it says that I've gone 100 like 550 times. Oh, my God. They're like, yeah, they got usually, you know, they'll have like 100 mile an hour event or 300 mile an hour. It looks like you go 100 every time you drive it. I go, well, I, I, I do. do. You know, like, yeah, of course I do. And, they, you know, they're, they're like, that's why your cars don't ever break. You just drive the shit out of them. Oh. So those are hilarious. Um, I've always gotten back what I paid for them. And wow. I drive them. I fucking stole them. So those people don't know that they can go buy a, a newish Porsche, a three-year-old Porsche for the same amount without the mileage. <laughs> um. Well. So. So listen. What I will do is I. I. So when I buy a car, when I buy a Porsche, what I do is I wait to find your typical dude who bought his first Porsche and he's giddy about it. So he wipes it with a diaper and shows it to his friends and doesn't drive it very much. So I get a super low mileage and I'll get a five-year-old car. That's kind of my window. Low mileage, five years old. And it was the coolest one they made when they made it. Because <laughs> it, it's on its way to being a classic. He just doesn't know it yet. Does color matter? Uh, in, in life, no. In Porsches, yes. <laughs> what do they got to be, Greg? <laughs> my favorite combo is silver with the red interior. Okay. And I would I would even go with uh pink interior. <laughs> uh, no. And uh I I I I might do black but not in Arizona cuz it's so dusty here. Uh, yeah. So well, my favorite silver and red. I love silver and red. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you just found out more about me than you ever need to know. I think it's great. I think it's great. I didn't want to deviate too far about the making tools for working people. Okay, that's great. But, I mean, what did make me passionate? The asshole with the Porsche. Got it. I love it. Nope. Uh, you know, when you make a certain amount of money, too, and your life is short and you want the car, get the freaking freaking car. You've earned it. You've worked for it. I, I think that's why people, I mean, I get that all the time. And I, I'm young. But, like, oh, well, you get this, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, I worked really hard for that. That's what I wanted. I'm going to buy it. I always tell people my business has taken the number one thing that affects us human beings besides being big, disgusting, and fat is being uh, stressed. Yeah. Cortisol destroys our body. We're very, we don't do well with cortisol. So the amount of life this company has taken off of my body, it fucking owes me a car or two, I can tell you. Because I guarantee you I'm going to die a few years young because of this. 
Uh-huh. Because you're 65 already, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. But to keep us on task, because we will deviate, is I did want to talk to you about the, like, martial arts and, like, the having the combat defensive, like, techniques. I mean, that stuff kind of does matter, especially, I think, in a in a world where, like, there's different body sizes. I think from a female perspective, using some of those CQB tools, learning how to to use your hands. Like, do you think that still is important in this day and age? There are a lot of people who know how to use and know techniques, and they don't have the will. And what I found is the most important thing is the will to commit violence. If you have, and, and it's very hard to teach the will to commit violence. Your average person does not have the will that it takes to commit violence. And uh, you, and your average person who has the will to commit violence with very little instruction will fuck you up. And this really became evident in the martial arts world when uh, the UFC popped on the scene back in 1993. You had all these guys walking around with all these stripes, stripes on their belts, pontificating about what masters they trained with and how great they were at martial arts. And you'd see a 25-year-old kid with three months of MMA training wipe them off the fucking mat. And it, it has to do with will, your fitness, and your willingness to commit violence. So do I think it's important for women to do training? Yes. Do I think most women have the nerve for it? Nope. Only if their kids are involved. If their kids are threatened, mama bears will do some killing. But for the most part, the kind of violence that's required to thwart a, a, an aggressive male, a woman can't even muster that kind of energy. So what I think is more important is if you walk with an assuredness, you have situational awareness, not fear, but you go through the world with your chin up, paying attention. Um, you won't end up on a singles cruise eating strawberries, drinking champagne in a room with a guy you just met and wonder what happened. You know, it's about being aware. And when I was in the martial arts business, I ended up encountering lots of kids with ADHD and lots of women who'd been assaulted and lots of men who were kind of afraid walking through life. And they want to do some martial arts to get their confidence level up. I think those things are good for having self-confidence and kind of situational awareness so that the, 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 the battle a woman can win is the one she never has to be in. Yeah. When it comes to gunfighting in your home, uh, most people get shot with their own gun. They, they, they don't shoot anybody. Like if you just do the actuarial numbers, it's like the third or fourth bullet fired is the one that actually hits. The majority of cops are killed with their own gun in the line of duty. It, 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 you know, there are a lot of numbers from the National Chiefs of Police Association on crime and firearms. If you want to aggregate out safety, it, it, it just is not going to be with a firearm. But I have noticed if I take a gal out who's maybe not a gun girl and I take her out shooting, they go from this skeptical, fearful place to this semi-euphoric, orgasmic confidence that comes from it and then gals who tap into that regularly they go through the world with a different attitude you may not be able to pull your gun out and blame a dude but you have a different confidence and predators have a tendency of not going after confident people yeah. they go out you know they go after stray gazelle they go after sheep they go after people who aren't paying attention they got their nose buried in their cell phone not people who are up engaging the world so I think doing those things that get you up to engage the world, get your nose into the wind, get you making eye contact with people, kind of have you scan in your area, 
you know, really good soldiers are not the ones who are the fast shoot. They're the ones who see the conflict before it even happens, and they can manage the kinetic reality of engagement. Those are really good combatives. Yeah, yeah. So that is more important. You know, most women are never going to be able to beat a dude up ever. Yeah, ever. Yep. <laughs> Would it? Does it benefit all women to have the confidence? Yes, it does. Because predator males don't like engaged, paying attention women. They want to get someone they can conk over the head and pull in their van. Yep. Yep. Do you think there's a way to teach, though, women, like, aggression? So, like, even for me with shooting and, and the classes I teach, the competition stuff, for me, like, I'm just super aggressive attacking stages. And that's something that I think women lack is same thing as, like, that aggression, the willpower, what have you. And, and like you said, I... I hate that it takes like, okay, they have to have kids, have to have some reason to protect somebody else for them to even, you know, protect themselves, right? So like, if they're not moms, like, how do we instill this sense of like, you do need to take ownership of understanding like violence exists out there, and evil exists, and you're going to have to take an action, you need to be prepared, you need to be able to do that. Like, how can we teach that? Or well, is there- you know, I, I don't think we can. I think we're lying to ourselves. I think we have a lot of nature that, you know, the, the Greeks, all the, the, the Greek plays are about um, nature versus nurture. They're all about the gods playing with us with strings like we're toys yep. and, our, and our own self-will fighting against the gods. And then Christianity supplants the Greek religion, and now we have free will and determination, although we're ultimately flawed. But if we look at who we are as a species, Women just don't have a killer instinct. I don't think I want them to. I don't want to train them all to. Now, on the spectrum of women, there are there are your more passive and your more aggressive, just like they're on males. There's a whole spectrum of us, right? You've got your really soft heterosexual. You've got your really soft homosexual. You've got your really hard heterosexual. And you've got your bear, big bear, hard homosexual. There's a there's this amazing spectrum of humanity. Yeah. And, you know, some of us are like kind of wired for breaking shit. And, and, and a lot of us just aren't, and we can't all be wired for breaking shit or society would be broken. Collapsed. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and the vast majority of women need situational awareness. They don't need to be, need to be combative. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- they say there's a rape culture in this country. I know you've heard this, you're the right age, but all the kids talk about there's this rape culture in this country and there's been a rape culture for a long time. I don't think there's a rape culture anywhere, but Hollywood there's, there's no rape culture out in America. It's aberrant fucking behavior. It's frowned upon. And if you take adolescent people and you send them off for four years and they all get drunk and fucked up for four years with each other at the same time, their hormones are crashing in. Their sexual awareness is being worked out. There is nothing but there's there's some success and there's some trial and error fail. You know, when you trial and error, there's failure as much as success, maybe more. Now you take an entire civilization and for four years, have them all throw drugs and alcohol at themselves and almost every social engagement while they're all trialing, erring, he and sheing. And it's a recipe for probably... 80% wrong. You know, if, if you and I were going to sit down and invent a cool thing today, we would come up with 20 or 30 ideas, maybe 80 ideas before we came. Oh my God, this is a good one. We could do it. 
Now, do you have the capital? Do you have the technology? Do you have the will? Is there a market? Blah, 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 blah. But how many fails would you have before you had the winning combo? Tons. Yeah, dozens. It's, yeah. it's the same thing with Hien and Sheehan. You know, people doing Hien and Sheehan, your mom and dad don't know, tell you how to do Hien and Sheehan. Most of the time, they're too embarrassed to talk about it. So <laughs> kids are left basically like the movie Blue Lagoon back in the 80s. They just got to fucking reinvent the wheel every generation. And how are they doing it? They're doing it unsupervised. And, and inebriated three out of seven days. So I don't use a rape culture here. I think there's an experimental drug and alcohol fuck culture here. And uh, everyone embarrassed later calls it rape. And is there some rape that goes on? Yep. There's some accidents go on. There's some rape. All of that goes on. And if women had a better sense of situational awareness, better boundaries about being around strong males and weak males. They'd protect themselves better. They wouldn't say, oh, I'm equal. I could do the same amount of shots as a guy. And there'd be less of that stuff going on. But I see guys, oh, I'm a guy. I'm every bit as good as a guy. And they're doing drinks with a guy. I'm like, you're 113 pounds. My foot's going to be numb and you're going to be in a blackout. Yeah, 100%. So, so I've got a 17-year-old daughter. I talked to her about this. I'm like, hey, listen, if you act like a ding-dong, there are very few rapists out there but they will find you while you're being a ding-dong. Don't be a ding-dong. And then you will find it's mostly very nice guys out there trying to find a life partner. You know, I got my 17-year-old daughter going, ready to go off to college. It's yeah. a conversation. You know, it's a real conversation that I really have and recently. It's not like theoretical for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. There's a lot to... So, it, I'm sorry. You ask about oh. this question about how do we teach women the killer instinct. We need to teach women great situational awareness yeah. because they're never going to have enough killer instinct to take care of a dude. We don't want women all strapped, walking around like Navy SEALs, ready to blam somebody at any moment. That's not, that's not good for your soul to be walking around that on edge. Yeah. Um, you know what I want to see is I want, I want to see women happy with their men, pushing around kids, bringing our species forward in a healthy way, not afraid because they're paying attention. That's yeah. so I'm a little bit more on the one step back before the gunfight, couple steps back. Yeah, I agree. You should never, I, I hope to never, ever, ever use my firearm. That's not the first tool that you should go to either. There's a lot that you can do with your mind, your brain, and the way you talk versus having to jump to that. And and I, I like what you said. I think women do need to embrace that they are different. Um, you know, men, women, different body structures, different ways. There's so much to unpack there, but we, we are not men. <laughs> so, Don't see. Some gals have an aggressive nature about them. Now, yeah, maybe it's me. what's that? That's me. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and you, and you don't seem the least bit masculine to me. So it it can be that um, you can have a little, uh, you got a little tomboy in you, yeah. or maybe your dad, maybe you're around a dad, maybe you clicked with your dad a little bit more, and and he was pretty aggressive, so you got comfortable, and that's the way you. Or you're a firstborn who bonds with dad. You know, if you listen to Bradshaw's. Uh, uh, family order books. Uh, you know, if you are an elder, an eldest female who bonds with dad, who happens to have a dad that's comfortable with violence, and you get that same comfort for it, you can find very aggressive women. Uh, that's just a a lot of alignment of planets to have that it happen. It is, and I'm thankful for it. I I like being this version for sure. I feel more safe, more aware, and able to kind of get a level of teaching females kind of where that comes from. So it. I'm blessed. And I was a firstborn and totally love my dad. <laughs> so Well, fun. you know, it's it's not made up. You it's a very single, very simple pattern to look at humanity. And you there aren't a lot of gunslinging badass 
second born uh, daughters. It's right. the first born daughter who carries on the, the the mantle of the of the male a lot of times. You general, it's a generalization, but it's generally true. I can literally think of a few that shoot three gun with me. So yeah, that, that's awesome. Well, Greg, I know we've talked about knife making, American made stuff because I, I do find that really important. Um, situational awareness, all that stuff. Is there anything that we didn't mention that you want to talk about? You wanted some advice for your dating life since you're single trying to find a great man. So did you want to, did you want to ask me some questions? Because you have at your disposal, a well-read man about town who can give you good advice on this matter. I can connect some dots for you. Um, I have boots. I have, I'm wearing a pair of boots that are older than you. So I, I, I've been around a little bit. All right. And I'm, I'm a, I'm a whisperer. So if you have any questions you'd like to ask the amazing Karnak before you, uh, Friday nights, you know, four days away. So, you know, stuff's going on out there. Uh, do you want some advice? Sure. You want to just go of your free will? No, what no, I- no. I want you to, I want you to ask your questions, you know, whatever you've got. You come at me and I will answer the question. This is a trap for people listening because before this, we were talking about his love life, not mine. Now we're here. So sure, let's make this one a fun one. So I'm single, 30, almost 31. Um, very, I'm in a very male-dominated industry and I sort of know my stuff. I know at least a decent amount and that can be very intimidating. So here, here's a question for you. Going out into the world on Friday nights, going out and talking to people, I have been told that it's not good to talk about shooting, hunting, my truck, four-wheel, anything I like to do outdoors, even though that is my life. So is the is the goal to trick a man in being a feeble female and then tell him all about my my stuff? Or no. then, then it's just waiting game to find the right one that's not intimidated by all of the things. Yeah, yeah. I, I, if I were you... I would be um I would be solidly playful and find the guy who enjoys being playful back with in, with intelligent banter and if he's not intimidated by your intelligence he certainly won't intimidated by your your hobbies okay. or your passion. So, you know, a lot of guys they, they're afraid of being supplanted <laughs> by you know more intelligent than them. So find the guy who can do your banter and your play and is engaging. And uh, that's that's how you weed through. If you have to go through your resume, it's because you don't know what to look for, right? We, we, sh- we don't have to look at each other's resume. We just see how people interact with us. So find somebody who can dive in with your banter because you banter pretty well. Um, you you got to find a guy who's got some chutzpah who can banter. So he's not going to be a dude who just went to college and went and got a job. Gonna, you're probably going to be with somebody who is uh, probably an ex-military, got confidence in that realm, and has nothing to prove. Um, the good thing for you, there's a lot of guys your age who've been gunfighters out there, yep. and those guys, they don't. If you can find one of them that's matured and he's kind of calmed down a little bit, they they don't have anything to prove with you. You know what I mean? But every other guy is going to have like a gun thing to prove with you. Right. Find a guy. And a couple of people, and he's got nothing to prove to anybody. He already knows he's a man. Yeah. And then, and so I think you, my my advice to you is you need a veteran, small business owner who really uh, admires the, the the gal that I'm dating now. She's lovely. Um, she's very very entrepreneurial, and I find it it's one of the most attractive things to me um, is meeting somebody else who's entrepreneurial. I mean, I just love it as a guy. I've got, you know, I've got the physical things I like. I've got the girly things that I like, that kind of stuff. 
Um, I've got the personality things that I like, but all of those aren't a winning combo for me. I, I mean, I've met some girls along the way that I should have, they checked every box and I should have kept them. They weren't interesting to me because they just didn't have anything entrepreneurial going on. So I love, I love meeting another person who's connecting dots and sees the marketplace and is finding a niche for themselves in the marketplace. And I think, I think that's what you should do. Find somebody who's got great banter. They kind of have their own gig, probably blamed a person or two. They don't feel threatened by that at all, that you're into the gun stuff. They think it's adorable. Like, oh, it's adorable you're into guns. That's so cute. Okay. That, he's that unthreatened by you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're not like, did you just say my shooting things? You'd say, yeah, it's really cute. You have somebody that like worked a Mod Deuce on the top of a fucking Humvee and blamed guys in the Middle East. He's going to think all your little pew-pew stuff's cute. And it's like, oh, it's really cute. They'll even come out and wave a banner for you. Hey, I've shot, shot off a Humvee. I've shot out of a helicopter. But yes, I get what you're saying. But yeah. I want all those things. I agree about the entrepreneurial mindset because it's not attractive to me to have a partner that's not wanting to build an empire, work towards something, create something. Like that is the most attractive part that I find of a person. So that's there. You know, the other thing that you didn't mention that you said offline <laughs> is that I'm in the wrong age bracket. Well, you may be because um, our culture is not doing a great job of launching males very well because. We're letting women and we're letting women uh, who belong to the teachers union and we're letting women on TV and we're letting the trans community tell boys how they should be. Yeah. And a guy and my this is my advice to all you guys out there. And I agree guys that are in all kinds of things. Um, the first time you get it on with a girl and it goes well, there's everything is going to fade out for a couple of decades. There's nothing better than a woman digging you and you getting it on. So my advice is enough with the fucking skinny jeans. If you've never chopped down a tree with wearing lumberjack shirts, uh, get a real job, always pay the check. Be Like, look, I'm divorced. Okay. I'm proud to like, I, I you know, my ex-wife is wonderful. She's, she's like, Hey, let's split the braces. I go, no, no, no. I'm a man. I'll, I'll pay for my kids braces. That's okay. Oh, we can split the car payment on the kids. No, no, no. I'm a fucking man. I'll take care of the. I'm taking care of my family. Just because our little coupleship didn't work out doesn't mean my vows are any less. Yeah. So you got to find somebody who's. Uh, I don't. I, I honestly, the other thing for you, I would recommend find somebody who's brutally honest. Yep. Because. Yep. We're trained to lie. Yep. What's being polite? Polite politic it's lying i'm not going to say the truth i'm going to be very agreeable to avoid any uncomfortable reaction you may have i don't give a shit about that find somebody that's honest because when you're honest here's what i find i you know having just gotten out of three years of seriously dating is girls are thrilled to be with an honest honest person who says what is actually on their mind so they're not guessing because yeah. you spend like wondering what 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 are they thinking? What are they doing? What do they think of me? What, how do they like? So I would find somebody who's outspoken and honest and um, be a part of tempering them over time. So I think you're going to, my, here's my prediction. <laughs> I think you're going to get together with a veteran who's entrepreneurial. He's going to have a great sense of humor because you do too. Um, he's probably pew pewed a couple of people for real. And he's not even really into guns anymore. <laughs> it would almost better if you're with a dude who's not even into guns. Yeah. Doesn't even carry one. Like I don't even carry a gun. 
I, I, I sometimes have one in my truck, but I honestly, I'm like, I leave my truck unlocked all the time. I don't want to have to, like, uh, someone steals it. So I don't have a gun at my house. I know you're like, oh my God, I don't even have a gun at my house. I have a shit ton of guns. They're all locked up in a safe. Oh, like you got to have one nearby. <laughs> I know. But if you're with another dude who's like that, your guys are going to be gear queer, always fucking gunned up. You'd be like, no, no, no. She takes care of the gun. She's my security force. That You want a guy who kind of is like. That makes it fun. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, no, no. She's my security detail. I, I, I don't carry any fucking guns. No, I don't carry a gun. I got her. Oh, do you do martial arts? No, I don't do martial arts. She'll fucking kill anybody. You need a guy who's kind of, kind of be like that with you. And it's not all like, well, um. Which uh, site do you use, or which? Uh, well, I got this barrel, or I, I just had like the tritium coated, or you, you don't want to be with a fucking guy like that. That's you two spin in the same pool. That's no good at all. Craig, thank you for your advice today. Thank you. <laughs> Can't stop laughing. <laughs> so, when future you, if you're listening to this now and you are the future you, good luck. Wait a minute. Who are you talking to? To the future. <laughs> no, the future me. My future oh, the- partner is listening somewhere. We're the- going to come back to this episode and listen to it. And we're going to check and see if these boxes were right. I want you to go back and listen. Then, and, and, and so you, if I'm right, when you meet him, when you meet the future he, uh, if I'm right on all counts, then, then you send me a really nice bottle of scotch. Done. Easy. Okay. And some cigars. If I'm wrong. Then I'll do a fucking Zoom call and I'll give him a talking to him, okay? I like that, actually. All right. Thanks, Dad, Greg. <laughs> You're welcome. I saved the daddy for later. Anyways, <laughs> uh, Greg, how can people find you on social media, your podcast, your website, for them to learn more about you and uh, your knives? Well, I would say go to my Instagram page, but the fucking Turk stole it and Insta-fucking-gram won't get me back my goddamn site no matter what. Those sons of bitches. So fuck Mark Zuckerberg. But um, you can find us on Rumble, iTunes, and Spotify. We're there with our podcast, The Greg Medford Show. Uh, you can find us on YouTube. Um, if you go to Medford Knife and Tool or Medford Knife, go to YouTube. You'll find me there. Uh, you can also go to MedfordKnife.com. You can call me up, send hate mail. If you do send hate mail, I recommend just attention, Greg, right at the factory, and I get it. And I'm happy to go through it. Um, that's about it. That's about all I have. And if you're a vet between the ages of 32 and 40, you've got a good gig going on. Um, you like a fun chick who likes to pew pew, but maybe you're not there anymore. You, you probably got to think on maybe in food or energy drinks, maybe in coffee. I don't know. You're into something. Um, you got a good gig going. Maybe you've got a sleeve, good sleeve from your service. Yes, please. I think that uh, you might reach out to our host today, give her a buzz. You can reach her down at the bottom in the doobly-doo. And uh, she'd be happy to chat with you. Um, she's probably pretty mobile. She's a gal of means. Be nice if you're in her area. Where are you? I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee, but we talked about this. I'm home about 60 days out of the year. Right, so she's down in Tennessee, but what that means is she's willing to meet you out there in the big wide world. So be a gentleman. If you always pay the check and you you never look at the check, sometimes what you do, like I do, you as you're on the way to the restroom, like, hey, sweetheart, I'm going to go wash my hands. You pass by your servant and say, make sure the check goes in my pocket. If there's other guys there, it emasculates everybody in the crowd. You take a fucking bill, and she'll think your penis is an inch longer. So I recommend 
Uh, you, you just kind of pay the bill. You take care of business. Don't care about guns because she got her for that. She'll take care of all that. Reach out to her in a doobly-doo below. She's a sweetheart. Uh, she didn't pay for that ad, but that is totally a two or three minute ad. <laughs> all right. Are we good? Yes. Thank you. And listeners, stay tuned next week for an all new episode of the Red Club podcast. Although I do not know how we're going to be able to top this episode. <laughs> Thanks it won't for be- won't be funnier than this. I no. guarantee. All right. Thanks for listening to the Reticle Up podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Follow along on social media at Reticle Up or 3 Gen Kenzie.